Hello, everybody. How are we doing? Did you guys enjoy spring last weekend? That's it. That's all we get. But summer is only like three weeks away, so we can hold out to then, right? My name's Scott. I'm one of the pastors here. Our teaching pastor, Pastor Matt, is away officiating at the wedding of one of his nieces. So that's really cool. But if you've never been online before with us or never been in person, I'd encourage you to come back. Pastor Matt is a very gifted teacher, and I would like to have you come back and hear him. We are considering or continuing this morning the second in our, my series called If Then. If you were here last week, it was If Then. If you claim to follow Jesus, that is your identity, first and foremost. And this week, we're going to continue that. If we're a follower of Jesus, then what's our mission, right? And because we're talking about something really important and really great, I thought I would start out with a little bit of Q&A. See if you guys can yell out the answer. I'm going to describe something, and the answer will have grade in it someplace, right? It's either a person, a place, or a thing. So you guys ready? Just yell it out. You don't have to be shy. You just yell it out. There's no prizes given for it, but you can yell it out anyway. It's fine. All right. He conquered Persia. Alexander the Great. Very good. Uh, the type of shark featured in the movie Jaws. Great white, very good. Kept the barbarians out of China. The Great Wall. The American Prairie. The Great Plains. Noah and his family were the only survivors of this. The Great Flood. Some biblical people in the room, that's good. Um, a Steve McQueen movie. The Great Escape, we're, we're in culture now. All right, we're rocking. Uh, a Dickens novel. Great Expectations, very good. I know I'm going too fast for you guys that are on Google right now. I'm sorry, but this is how we're going to do it. Uh, the former name of World War I. The Great War, very good. The tallest breed of dog. Great Dane, you guys are rocking it. The last thing Jesus said to his disciples before leaving earth. The Great Commission. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this group. I pray that you will be here and infusing with us perhaps a renewed vision of your love for the world and perhaps a renewed vision for how we might assist you in that love. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, if you didn't know the, the answer to the last question, the Great Commission, you are in excellent company. There was a poll recently done that said that 81% of the people who attend church, who identify as Christians and attend church, could either never heard the term the Great Commission or couldn't define it. Okay, so you're in really, really good, good space, but we're going to change that today. It's the last thing that Jesus said to his followers before he went to heaven. So you can assume that that had some weight, right? If you've ever sent somebody away on a trip for a long time, if you're ever at an airport and you're not going to see them for a long time, or maybe, you know, they, they're, they're just going to be away from you, every, every utterance you have between the two of you has this added significance, right? Because you're not going to see them for a long time. So the fact that Jesus could have said anything, he, should have, he could have said, keeping it real, you know, and just blew out of here, or whatever he said, but he didn't. He gave us the great commission, right? So it had some significance to him. And it comes from, the, the phrase the Great Commission, by the way, never appears in the Bible. This is a theological term, but it comes from Matthew verse 28. If you haven't downloaded our app yet, I would encourage you to do that. All these verses are going to be in the app. Um, it's Redemption Church Duval is the way to find it. Also, there'll be some uh, questions in there that you can follow along. But Matthew 28, starting at verse 16, says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, 
to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always till the very end of the age. Now, if we look at that passage, we notice it is not full of qualifiers. It does not say, those of you that have the gift of evangelism, go out and make disciples. It does not say, you women who are tall, go out and make disciples. It does not say, you who are really gregarious, go out and make disciples. It says, you go out and make disciples. So he's talking to me and he's talking to you. And I'm going to skip all the way to the end and give you the if-end for today, right? If-then. If we're a follower of Jesus, then we are to be evangelistic or we're in disobedience. This is a command from, from Jesus. Now, I can guess what at least seven out of ten people in the, in the audience are saying right now, but I am not an evangelist right? I don't know if anybody can relate to that. I can. I'm not an evangelist, but that's okay, because both you and I are still called to to live an evangelistic life, okay? In the same way, you know, evangelism is a spiritual gift. Absolutely. It is a spiritual gift in the same way that tithing is. I could say, well, I don't have the gift of giving, so I'm not going to tithe. Nope, I don't get to say that. I could say, I don't have the gift of hospitality. I don't need to be hospitable to people. Nope, I'm to live my life to be hospitable to all people, right? It's the same way with evangelism. We are called to live evangelistically. Now, the good news is, if you have a heart for the Great Commission, you live in Washington State. Washington State, for at least the last 50 years, has been fighting with Oregon for being the the least church state in the Union. So you're in a good place. Um, And Western Washington, I think if we only judged Western Washington, we would beat Oregon for sure, right? We are not a very churched people here. And I've heard recently a lot of people, a lot of dear friends have left Washington State. And there's a lot of good reasons to leave Western Washington, right? If you, you want to be near family, if you got to leave because the weather is bad for your health, you're going for a job, whatever it is, right? Those are all valid things, blessable things. But I've heard a number of people tell me that they wanted to leave Washington and they moved to a new place because they wanted to be near people that think and believed like they do. Now, if you reflect on the Great Commission, that's problematic, right? And I, my illustration is, imagine that if I was, my whole passion, my reason in life was to fish. I am a fisherman. And I live on a lake that hardly has any other fishermen around it, and it is full of fish. And I had the bright idea that I want to move to another state. I want to move to another area to be on a lake as my passion for fishing would dictate. But the lake I'm moving to has no fish and everybody around it is a fisherman. Right? That would be crazy. Right? But if I take the Great Commission seriously, why would I leave the area that has the most fish? Right? We're to be fisher of people. I think that kind of thinking would be anti-missional or maybe even the great omission. I, I don't think that's a... I don't think Jesus would be excited with that logic. 
So if we're taking the Great Commission seriously, we're in a fantastic spot. We no longer have to get a passport to go tell somebody about Jesus. They're here. No matter, unless you live on 80 acres, I, I believe within an acre, there's probably somebody that doesn't know Jesus in your neighborhood. Right? There's somebody that we can go out and live our lives in such a way that we make Jesus attractive to them. Right? And if you think about it, it's really the reason why, at least one of the reasons why Jesus leaves us here. He could have had the system set up to where as soon as we decide, yes, Jesus, I'm going to stop walking away from you. I'm going to turn back toward you. I am yours. You are my Lord. He could suck us up to heaven right then, right? But he doesn't. Why? If all the Christians left Western Washington, the gospel would stop, right? It would stop being promoted, right? The reason why we're left here, at least in part, is to live out the Great Commission, 1 Peter chapter 3, starting at verse 15, says, Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, notice that word, when we are slandered, not if you are slandered, when we are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. We're called. There are verses throughout the New Testament that speak to this. Now, the techniques of evangelism I've seen change over my lifetime. Certainly in the last 50 years, there's been all kinds of changes in, in how evangelism gets accomplished. And the Holy Spirit will use what he's going to use. I remember, do you guys remember tracks? I didn't even know what a track was at first. These little tiny comic books that Christians were wild for, and they would leave them in uh, rest stops and on the table, you know, with their bill and um, all kinds of things. They would leave that in hopes that people would come to Jesus because it would outline the gospel, right? Um, there was something in the 80s and 90s called the evangelism explosion where four or five people from church would get out and they would go knock on doors and uh, go in there and share the gospel. Um, there was a thing mid-century where you would build a fantastic church, right, with, with lots of gravitas and and smoke on the stage and all this kind of stuff, and people would just flock in there and become saved. Um, there was a thing where you would just yell at people. You get a bullhorn. I think this still goes on. Last I was down in Seattle, you get a bullhorn and yell at people they're going to hell. Um, I don't know. Uh, how about, you guys know the rainbow wig guy? Remember the rainbow wig guy? He was a guy who wore a rainbow wig, oddly enough. And he would hold up a sign that said John 3.16, and he would get tickets at major sporting events that were televised, and he would make sure that he would sit in a place that would be on TV a lot, like the end zone, right? Seems kind of strange today. Now, the Holy Spirit's going to do what the Holy Spirit's going to do, and I was making fun of the rainbow wig guy a couple years ago in a group of people, and uh, a guy said, you mean the John 3.16 guy? And I go, yeah, and he goes, I'm going to Christ by him. And I go, what do I know? God's not in charge. God's in charge. The Holy Spirit's going to do what he's going to do. But I think those techniques are not as powerful, maybe, as what they once were. Okay? I think now we see more of relational-based evangelism, right? So it's, it's wise for us to change tactics, tactics as necessary where we live and change language. For instance, most of the people in Western Washington that are not following Jesus, you'd say, are you saved? They're going to say something like, save from what? I don't need to be saved. I'm not a sinner, right? So that language needs to be changed. Where it might have been understood 30, 40 years ago, it's not understood now. The other thing I want to assure us all of is evangelism is a process, and it's a team effort, okay? 
You might engage somebody today, somebody else might engage them in two months from now, both Christians, it's, it's a team effort. We'll talk about, more about that in a little bit. But 1 Corinthians 3, 6 illustrates this. It says, I planted the seed. This is Paul talking. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, and God is making it grow. So now we want to really nurture these relationships with our people, right? We, we, we need to be cultivating the soil. Maybe even before we plant, we need to be cultivating the soil. Much like John the Baptist did, right? He came before Jesus and said, hey, something's coming. You guys better be ready. Here it comes, right? I don't expect you to go. I think John the Baptist here today probably had a bullhorn down by Safeco Field. I don't know. So maybe that's changed since then. But how do we go about this? If we are convicted that the Great Commission is speaking to us, how do we go about this? The first thing is we need to invest in people, right? The reason why Jesus gave us the Great Commission is because he so loves the world. We need to love the world. We need to invest in people. We need to be interested, not because we're going to carve a notch on our belt. You know, oh, we got somebody saved. It's because we love people. We should be interested in them. We should listen to them. We should lean in. When somebody is talking, we are looking at them. We're not looking at them, waiting for them to stop talking so that we can talk. We're looking at them. We want to understand them because we want to understand their beliefs. We want to be able to relate to them. And my thing is, I encourage everybody to have like a, a, a sack of questions, right, that you can ask because Everybody likes to talk about themselves, and questions are how we know that we're engaging with people, right? And when, if it gets to the point where people are talking about spirituality, which Western Washington, if you ask most people, they're going to say they're spiritual. They're going to say something like, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual, right? That is awesome, right? I, I'd love to hear that, because my thing is, I want to know. That is really, really cool. How did you come up with your belief system? Right? Because that's what religion is, right? It's a, it's a belief system. It's parameters. And somebody that says they have their own system, well, how did you come up with it? Tell me about that, right? I'm not trying to trick them. I'm not trying to win. I'm trying to find out, un better understand their spirituality. And by asking questions, it may actually help them better understand their spirituality. If you're unwilling to do all of that stuff or any of that stuff, at least don't salt the soil. There is nothing more frustrating when you're trying to advance people toward Jesus to combine somebody that has salted the soil. I was on a train. Um, I took a sleeper car down the coast. Really cool trip uh, by myself. So when you get a sleeper car on an Amtrak train, you get free meals. And so you walk into the dining car, and there are tables through the whole thing, and they will seat you with if it's by yourself, with three other people because they don't have enough tables. So it's really cool. You get to sit down there and you get to have a conversation. And always the first question is, why on earth are you traveling by train, right? Because it's a crazy way to travel nowadays, right? So we'd start with that. And so I remember one night I came in there and I was seated at a, at a table for four and the two people sitting across from me was, were an older couple who described themselves as being members of a group that leaves Bibles in hotel rooms. Okay, that was their thing. Awesome. And then there was a woman here about... 40, and I said, you know, why are you traveling by train? And she said, I'm traveling by train because it allows me to come into smaller towns that I couldn't reach by airplane, and when I go into these towns, I conduct seminars for people that are grieving, and the people were grieving at the time because uh, President Trump had been, uh, just been elected, and she found all these people that were just overcome with, you know, with, with uh, grief, and, and they just couldn't deal with it, and I thought, wow, that is an, 
that is awesome that this woman cares so much about these people that she's going around helping them deal with that. No matter what you feel politically, that's awesome. That's a heart for people. You have to love people if you're doing that, right? And, and so it came around to me. I always try to wait as long as I can before they find out I'm a pastor because it changes how people talk and all that. But um, she asked me what I did, and I said, I'm a pastor. She goes, I love Jesus. And I go, you love Jesus? She goes, yeah. And I go, Tell me why you love Jesus. A question, right? Why do you love Jesus? She said, well, because he's an awesome teacher, and he was a really good man. And I said, whoa, you, he was all that? You won't believe it, but Jesus had a big problem with people like me, religious people. She goes, what? Right? I'm thinking, we are making—here we go, right? I get to open up this thing. I'm going to talk about Jesus and Mr. and Mrs. Bible-lever over here. Lead in, right in the middle of that, like, like the record scratched, right? And they said, if you don't repent and be baptized, you are going to hell. Just like that. Oh, dear. I was disappointed to hear that. And so I just kind of looked at him, and, and, this, and she doesn't know what's going on, right? She's her neck snapping with that, with that interjection. And I, I tried to lean as much as I can to block them. <laughs> I just want to say, you can go away for a little bit. And I just said, you know what? Jesus is so much more than what you described. He is fully what you described, but he is so much more than what you described. He actually loves you and died with you on his mind. And then I just shared where in the Bible, I explained the Bible and where she could go, a couple of books, and I just encourage you to read that, right? Now those people, no doubt, had a good heart, but it wasn't the right technique for that time, right? They, had, they were harvesting. They had the harvester out there, and we hadn't tilled the soil yet, right? So it's really important that as you go out, that you make sure that you are not salting the soil. You are going out there tilling the soil, preparing it for a harvest. We need to be building bridges between people, right? We are not loved by society. Less and less every day. That's okay. We are building bridges. As long as we live our life in love, that we can point people to Jesus, that's all we need to do. That should be the purpose of getting up every morning. Matthew five fourteen says... You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under the bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand. We are to live our life like that. We are to shine out to our community. It gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Good deeds. Serve at Duval days. Serve in a soup kitchen. So, you know, be... We should all be the best neighbors, the best employees, the best fellow students ever, right? It should be that if it ever comes down to a Christian and a non-Christian for a job position, every single manager in the world says, hire the Christian. I've just seen that demonstrated time and time and time again. That's how we should be living our life. So we should be preparing now. Assuming God's going to put people like this in our path, we should be preparing. How do you do that? Well, one is we should be prepared to share our story our testimony, right? Every one of us who are following Jesus, we have been transformed from this to that, from a sinner to a Jesus follower. No matter if this is you were selling crack to six years old, or if you grew up in the church, you were, the transformation is still as miraculous because now we are children of the king. So you, each one of us who are children of the king should have our testimony. And if you have not written it out, I would encourage you to write it out. Okay? It should be short, right? It should be something you can do in 
a minute and a half to three minutes. It shouldn't be like, all right, sit down. Everybody grab a chair. It's going to be taking me about 90 minutes. shouldn't be that because you might be sharing at a bus stop. You might be sharing it waiting for a train. You might be sharing it, right? You just got to have that. If there's follow-up, that's great, but you should write your, your testimony down just so you get comfortable with it and then tell it to somebody. Tell it to your family members. Tell it to you know, a friend, whoever. Tell it to your dog if you can't find those people. Tell it to my dog. My dog's a very good listener. You can come over and talk to Stryker. Um, I'll tell you a really cool thing. If you've got somebody who's a friend, you could say, you know what? This crazy pastor said that I'm supposed to write down my testimony. You know what my testimony? My testimony is how God changed me. Can I tell you? If, if you work with a non-believer, if you have a non-believer student friend, how great would that be? Just say, all I want is to be able to tell it to you like I would tell it to somebody else, and you just give me feedback. That would be a great opportunity. We should remember that our story is powerful. Powerful because of the transformation that happened in our life. Another reason why it's powerful. Acts 4.8 says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. If you're a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit is there, waiting to unleash power. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. As we do this, too, it's a good reminder as we're, we're talking to people about Jesus not to use Christianese, okay? Words that are only applicable in this room, right, to other Christians. Maybe they mean something that we don't intend them to mean or maybe they're only specific to describing our faith. But words like born again, saved, lost, gospel, sin, repent, those aren't helpful talking to people that don't know anything about Jesus, usually. Okay? In fact, some of those have negative connotations that we're actually going to be counterproductive in talking to people about Jesus. In Western Washington today, I think we're better using words like spiritual renewal or spiritual awakening, being rescued, having no hope or purpose, God's message of hope to us, falling away from the right path, or making a 180-degree turn from where you're going. These are all terms that would resonate with people that would define themselves as being spiritual without religion. Each day is an opportunity for us to bring everybody that we engage with a step closer to Jesus. That's how we should think. And the other thing is, and this, this plagued me when I was an early Christian, those people, no matter what they look like, are not the enemy. Those people are victim of our enemy. Right? They're not our enemy. They are victims of our enemy. Also, another thing that I have struggled with in the past is avoid thinking that anybody is unreachable. Right? Do you, do you have that? You know, is there, is there some people group or something that somebody wears or something that they believe in or that their passions are about or their identities or something that you just think, well, I don't need to bother with that one because they are unreachable. There's nobody like that. But who is that for you? There might be somebody in your mind that you struggle with. You'll witness to anybody except these people right here. You will tell anybody your story except these people right here. Who is that? Who do you need to pray over? And I'm going to show you a picture of a guy. If you guys don't know him, that's Brian Head Welch. He was the founding, one of the founding members and the lead guitarist for Korn, who was a huge group, rock and roll group in the 90s. 
If you heard it today, you would describe it, I would describe it as noise. You wouldn't describe it as music, but they were very, very, very popular, right? Now, if you look at him, when I look at him, I think Satan looked at him and said, well, I don't need to worry about this guy, right? He was, a, admittedly, he was a drug addict. He all, lived all the accesses that rock and roll lifestyle would have, right? And you look at him, you think, Satan didn't worry about it. Satan did not lose any sleep over this guy. He just said, no, he is mine. But he has such an awesome story. He is a Christian now, due in part because his realtor felt that God led him to read a verse to, to this guy. That was it. But his realtor, even though, imagine if you're this guy's realtor. This guy was worth a lot of money, right? Imagine if you're his realtor and he wants to buy a house. He is not buying a, a humble rambler someplace in Moses Lake, right? He is going to buy a giant house that's going to have a huge commission tied to it, I assume. But this realtor was living an evangelical lifestyle, at least to the point obeying God, right? And he read this verse to him, and he apologized to him. He said, I don't normally do this, Brian, but I really feel that God wants me to read this to you. And it says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And that resonated with him because he was burdened and he didn't have any rest. And actually in the app today, I have his video testimony that you can click on. It is crazy powerful. And I love it that he came to Jesus just because I just think about what Satan was thinking that day. Right? I hate that guy. He lost this one. He thought this one was in the bag. No one is beyond redemption. We're going to look at, I know this, is, this can be intimidating. The thought of being evangelical can be intimidating. But let's look at how Paul did it. Paul's arguably the greatest evangelist of all time. And we're going to go to Acts 17, starting at verse 16. And it says, Now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him, and he saw the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons, and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some says, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, may we know this new teaching that you're presenting. For you bring some strange things to our ears, and we wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Not all the Athenians were... I'm sorry. All, now, all of the Athenians and all of the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the object of your worship, I also found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. He is actually not far from each one of us. We skip down to 32. Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. But others said, 
we'll hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed. So let's break that down. How does that help us today in western Washington? Well, the first thing, he's listening to God's promptings, much like that realtor did, right? Brian's realtor. God's saying, hey, you need to go. You need to go to this place. He spent time speaking to religious people who didn't follow Jesus, and he went to other places where he would be around those who were not religious. I hear this sometimes. I say, you know, we're need, we need to be intermingling with people that aren't following Jesus, and I'll have people in church say, well, I, my kids attend a Christian school, and I work, everybody's a Christian at my work, and I hang out at church all day, and I only listen to Christian music, and I go to Christian movies, all these things, right? If that's the case, change your life up. Go to places where there are people that don't know Jesus, right? Volunteer someplace that they'll have people that aren't followers of Jesus. Uh, Join a club. Do something that will change your life enough that you will be able to bless those through your lifestyle that don't yet know Jesus. He had discussions with people who held different philosophies in verse 18, right? And these were pantheists, which are what most people would, we could probably describe in western Washington. They believe that God is everything, right? That God's animals and people and all kinds of stuff. This is cool, though. In verse 22, Paul is engaging the people where they're at in a loving and complimentary manner, right? He's He's not attacking them. He's not judging them. He's helping them to understand where their spirituality is lacking. He's not trying to trick them. He's not trying to win. He's not trying to make them feel bad or humiliate them. And then he explains He just explains it in some way that they might be able to relate to, and he gives the gospel in a really cool way. Isn't that cool at the end, how he gives the gospel? He was not argumentative. And then, even though he's the greatest evangelist of all time, we see that not everybody responds, right? It's that different soil kind of thing, right? That there's there's the hard soil and the rocky soil. Some rejected, some filed it away, and some came to Christ. This is another thing that I really want to encourage you. If you're somehow sharing what Jesus did in your life and the person just blows you off and walks away, don't think that's the end. Do not think that's the end. There may be, God may be, have somebody else lined up that's going to follow up on what you said today. I was at a uh, pastor's seminar once and we're sitting at a table and um, we're sharing our story and this guy, you know, how'd you come to, to Jesus? And he goes, how did I come to Jesus? When I was 15, I was really after this girl in my class. And so she was into church, and so I was in a church. So he went to the youth group, which that's a story that's been told millions of times. So he went the first night to this youth group, and uh, the pastor, you know, gives a message, and uh, you know, gives the gospel at the end. And the guy was really bugged. This 15-year-old walked up to the pastor and said, "Do you mean to tell me if if I say if I don't admit that Jesus is God and I died today, I'm going to go to hell?" He said, well, that's the message. I, I didn't write it. I'm just the messenger. And so this 15-year-old said, well, forget you. He didn't say forget you, but he said something like forget you. And he stomped out. And he told me that I thought about that every single day for five years. And when he was 20 years old, he came to Christ. We are not called to be successful. We're called to be faithful. 
And I followed up with the guy, and he, and he eventually becomes a pastor. I followed up with the guy, I go, please, please tell me you went back and found that pastor. Because I guarantee you that night that pastor didn't go home and give his wife a high five. Hey, somebody told me to forget you and walked out, right? We have to remember that it's a long-term gain. It's a team process evangelism. Now, some of us are going to say, well, I am so, so, so nervous to talk to anybody about Jesus. That's okay. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 27 says, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being may boast in the presence of God. It's okay if you feel inadequate. God will use you. You won't get in his way. He's going to use you if you feel inadequate. We should be humble when we're telling people about Jesus. But we should be prepared for the spiritual discussion that we're going to have, but ultimately reliant upon the Holy Spirit, right? We should have our story good to go. We should, we should be reading our Bibles, right? We should be studying these things. We should have some questions ready if, if, if it presents itself. But ultimately, we're reliant upon the Holy Spirit. Luke 12, starting at halfway through verse 11, says, Do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. If the Holy Spirit is with us, who cares what else goes on, right? What's the worst thing that can happen? God's with us. God's in us. All right, so I'm going to leave you with this. How to go about it. Let's say you've, you've been convicted that the, the Great Commission speaks to you. Good. First thing is pray. Pray that God will give you the same heart he has for the world, that you will love the world as much as he does. Pray that he will put people in your path and you will be in tune to the Holy Spirit's prompting that you know what that is and that he's going to give you what to say. Pray those things. Pray those every single day. Think of ways that you can be preparing the soil, right? Be ready to ask questions if somebody says something spiritual. Put yourself in places that you're going to run into people like that. I read a, uh, another poll that said the per, uh, average person before they come to Jesus has to hear the gospel eight times. All right? So that's cool. If you do it eight times and nobody responds, fine. The next person's going to do it, right? Long-term view is needed. And then be ready to make the most of every conversation from now on. We should be thinking in terms of walking people to Jesus, Right? We want to make sure that everything that we do in life is a testament to who he is. The Great Commission. Right? God gives us the mission, the motivation, and the methods. So let's do it. Right? Amen? Amen. All right, now, for those of you in the room or online that are not followers of Jesus, praise God you stayed in it for, for this long. I assume that if you did, that God is working on you right now. Maybe somebody else has told you about Jesus already a bunch of times and you wanted to follow up more. I'd like to ask you a question, if I may. Virtually every civilization all over the world, through all time, has dealt with God in some way. My question is, why do you think such a universal and uniquely human hunger for God happens if it wasn't connected somehow for some opportunity for fulfillment. C.S. Lewis, who was one of the greatest philosophers of the last century, addresses it a lot better. 
He says, creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for desires exist. A baby feels hunger, well, there's such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim, well, there's such a thing as water. Why do we have a God-shaped vacuum in our hearts and minds unless it is meant to be fulfilled? May God reveal himself to you today. Will you guys pray with me? Father, we thank you that you loved us so much that you made a way for us to share the love with the entire world. I pray for each of us in this room that are your followers, that we would have a new burden for the Great Commission, that we would have a new burden for those you love, no matter what they look like, no matter how they engage us or society. They are victims of the enemy and we are defeating him through the Great Commission. Help us to reflect on those things this week. And Father, for those who are hearing this this morning and have not yet followed you, I pray that the truth of your word would speak into those hearts, that that they would be irresistibly drawn to you like, like Brian was, that nothing else would make any sense anymore. And they would fall into your loving arms. I ask all these things in Jesus' name.